Rick Madison, Rick and Friends. Thanks for listening. Uh, I have a guest today that has gone through a lot. So we're going to chat with her and and find out all these things. And, and I think, um, if nothing else, we're going to learn a thing or two about, um, yeah, just how different families deal with, I guess, a bit of heartbreak and then a little bit of redemption and inspiration and a whole bunch of other words. So uh, welcome to the big show, Leanne Morcom. Hello. Thank you for having me, Rick. So Leanne, I guess let's just chat about um, your family and then we'll get into some of the situational stuff. But uh, just give people an idea of who you are and sure, well, yeah. Who I am. My name is Leanne and I have been married to my husband, Darren, for just about 20 years now. We have two children. Our oldest son is Aiden and he's almost 17. And we have our youngest son who is Connor and he will be 15 this fall. 15. Okay. So, and during that, uh, you've been married a long time and let's just talk about one moment. And then of course, we're going to, we're going to start to get into the, the heart of the story. But when, when did you first discover the fact that, you know, Connor was, uh, was not well? Okay. Connor was just over the age of eight and he was complaining about double vision and blinking his eyes constantly. So we kind of watched it for a little bit and then we made an appointment with an ophthalmologist or an optometrist and we couldn't actually get into our regular family optometrist. So we saw somebody else in the office and she took a look at him and prescribed some classes. So I thought, okay, tried that for a little bit, wasn't really solving his issue and we went back saw somebody else in the office and he kind of saw some more things that have progressed since the original appointment with Connor and decided to refer us to an ophthalmologist in town. Um, that took a couple months to get in to see that person. And once we did, they did some extensive testing and uh, realized something wasn't quite right. So he sat me, he did all the testing, sat us down at the end, said, just wait here for a second. I'm going to make a couple calls. And we thought, okay, no problem. And uh, he comes back out and says, okay, I have made some appointments for you right now at Kelowna General Hospital. And I would like for you to take Connor there. There's a pediatrician waiting for you. There is an MRI set for you. There's a CT scan set for you. And there's going to be a lumbar puncture set for Connor. And I sat there, walked out of the office and I just cried. I was like, oh my goodness what's going on? And we had no idea. I called Darren right away and said, I think something's wrong. I need you to come meet me at the hospital. I called my parents. Um, I believe they came and picked me up from the ophthalmologist's office with Connor and just drove me down the road to the hospital because I couldn't, I wasn't sure what was going on, but I couldn't handle that because I knew something, something wasn't really right. So um, we got there, they did all sorts of testing and Long and short, at the end of the night, they found a tumor in the back of Connor's brain. So talk about that. A First, back up a bit to the phone call with Darren. You just basically said, there's something wrong and I need you to come down to the hospital. What, what was his reaction? Well, he, he was surprised because I, I usually take care of all the kids stuff and everything. And I was working at the time. It was one of my days off and I was just supposed to be a regular eye appointment, kind of follow up, see maybe, maybe there's a little something, but nothing that would lead to such a big discovery for us. But um, yeah, I believe he dropped everything at work and figured, okay, this is serious if she's calling me and something's going on and they're sending him to the hospital for all of this testing. So uh, he came down, um, his parents ended up coming down, his brother and my sister-in-law came down and we all had just kind of hung out with Connor in the hospital because we really didn't know what was going on until late that night when we found out that the tumor was there and then plans were in place for the next day for us to fly out to BC Children's. How, uh, how big was the tumor that you, that they discovered? It was probably around two centimeters, but, um, yeah, it was a big enough mass that was in there. And then um, once he went in for some surgery, so a craniotomy, um, part of it had started to grow on his cerebellum. So it wasn't a full resection or anything at the time. So 
just leads to lots of crazy learning. The, the, the anguish as a parent, because I'm, oh. I'm a parent too. And, and when you feel like that's just a crushing blow to your, to your chest, like you just feel the weight of the, of just the moment. And oh. I think that's gotta be devastating. You, you have an eight year old boy who's been healthy his whole life. And then to come in one day to a realization that your child has a brain tumor and, and you, you don't know anything about brain tumors. Um, I actually shouldn't say I don't know anything. I did have a friend whose son had had a brain tumor and theirs wasn't a good outcome. So I knew of a particular story, but um, I didn't know anything more than that. And your mind goes everywhere. You want to Google everything. You want to learn as much as you can, but you're on this information overload. They're telling you not to look at anything. Wait until you can um, get a pathology on this particular tumor so they have a name for it and they can tell you what it is and what treatments are available and how it's going to go. And But all you think about is your little baby at the end of the day and what's going to happen to his quality of life and what's going to happen to his life and what's going to happen to our lives. And how do we, how do we go forward with this? This is, um, a news, a piece of news that no parent or person ever really wants to hear. So I know you had that other story you were probably thinking about and that other situation that crossed through your mind because that's your only point of reference at this point. And I know that outcome was different. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were basically thinking that, that this could be the end of your child. Like oh, for is- sure. Yeah. You, Cause you don't, you don't know. Um, and I tend to go worst case scenario for a lot of situations. And I figure if I can get through the worst case scenario, then it can't be so bad. Um, but also it was something we didn't know anything about. We knew nothing. And I think the more information you can gather, the better, um, resources you would have, the better, knowledge you'd have to make decisions and figure out, okay, what course is going to be better? These doctors have all the science behind them. They have experience. They have the knowledge, the know-how, and what are they going to tell me that's going to help me in making a decision that's right for my child and our family? Because it's, it is information overload. My mother went through cancer and, and again, she almost, even though she was a registered nurse, when she was getting information about her own health, uh, it was interesting that she needed other people around her to hear what the doctor said, mm-hmm. because basically you're getting to the point where, wait a second, it doesn't seem like the information is real to the person receiving it. And, and to you, where it's all emotional, it's, mm-hmm. it's even more so. It seems, it seems like a dream. It's like, how can this happen to us? We've done, we've been good people. And it's not about that. It's, it's just, it happens. It happens to anybody. It's very random. There's no rhyme or reason why you would get a brain cancer. It's just cells in your body. There's a blip and it happens. Um, with all the information that we were receiving, I started a binder for our son and every single piece of paper that I got back, every single test, every single blood work, every single blood transfusion or platelet transfusion or MRI report, I have a section in a binder, I have a six inch binder, and it is full of paperwork for having at that moment and comparing down the road as things progress and change to see where you've come from and where you're going and look for patterns. Um, And then to have in the future so that if something were to happen, we can go back and I can recall that because I my memory's not as good as it was when I was fresh in it. So to recall certain facts, now I can go back. And that would be my one piece of advice to give anybody who who gets some sort of diagnosis, whether it's a child, a parent, yourself, a friend, grab a binder and some files and start collecting all the information. Did that give you a sense of peace just to, to be able to do something? It gave like me some something. power. Yeah. Because then I, I could see... And I could start to understand what they're talking about. And um, once you're in the middle of treatment, you're constantly getting your blood checked. You're constantly getting this test done, that test done. You're getting an MRI every month. Um, And then I would actually track blood work and see where his numbers are because based on a number, um, 
they would give you a different medication. So if something was high, they'd give you something else. Or if um, Cotter was getting a platelet transfusion, started breaking out in hives, we'd know to pay attention and start giving Benadryl or something, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I was very um, on top of it in trying to keep keep some knowledge for me and some some control of it. Now let's talk a bit about Connor. Mm -hmm. So he's he's eight. Mm -hmm. He's seeing probably your face and knowing this is not good. And and how was he feeling? How was he? What was he saying? Like what what was his kind of uh, state of mind? So we Darren and I took the position that we were going to be very honest with both of our children throughout all of this. We were going to tell them everything that they needed to know that was age appropriate. Um, we would, we would tell Connor, like, as soon as we found out, we told Connor and Aiden that, you know what, there was a little tumor found in your head. We're going to have to go to Vancouver. We're going to have to have surgery for you. We'll have recovery. They'll come up with a plan, these doctors. And as we meet everybody, you'll get to meet everybody. Um, at the time Aiden was 10. So the deal we had with him was every time Connor has a you know, an MRI or some sort of report that's going to come back with some information or news, he would be the first one to hear it after school from either myself or Darren and keep him in the loop that way. We didn't want him to hear it from grandparents or friends or anything else. It was, here's what's happened today and here's the result and here's what we're going to deal with it. And I, for us and our family, that's what worked. It was keeping it real. And, and it's flow of information, I'm sure, mm -hmm. at the time, it, it really does help keep the family unit tight because mm -hmm. obviously you can, well, I mean, obviously Connor needs that time and attention and everything else, but I mean, you're trying to balance two lives, your yes. children, and, and trying to make the best outcome for a really bad situation. Yes. Um, I, I equate what happened in our time frame at Children's Hospital and living in Vancouver as a timeout from my life. It was just like, you know what, take a timeout. And Connor and I moved down here and we're going to deal with this. Darren and Aiden will stay home and work and go to school and keep some consistency for them that way. My parents, Darren's parents, step in, help out. Darren's brother and sister-in-law help out. Friends, definitely neighbors helping out so that we could keep two lives as normal as we could. Um, but it's not easy, but for us, that was our situation. That's how it worked. So during this time, how, how long was, um, you lived in Vancouver for a year? Was that what it happened? Pretty what close. Pretty really? close. So Connor was, um, diagnosed with his tumor at the beginning of February when we had our family day weekend early in the year. And then uh, we got flown down to Vancouver where he had surgery. We stayed a week at the hospital there. They sent us back home to recoup. And then within 30 days was their protocol to start radiation. And so home for most of March, maybe, yeah, oh, sorry, most of February, back by March. And then we did most of March and April for radiation. And then had a, another little break. And then I think by May, we were back at Ronald McDonald House again, and we stayed through for six months until November. Um, but during that time, we had the flexibility, the way Connor's treatments worked, is we did have some times where we could go home for a few days at a time. We had Aiden, Darren come up and stay with us for a few days at a time, um, family definitely come stay, friends would come visit. So we kept it as normal and socially acceptable as we could to keep everybody just kind of engaged and happy. So tell me about the flow of information, because as you know, as someone who had a, a loved one go through cancer, you have all these people, well-meaning people mm -hmm. that really want to help mm -hmm. and, and they want, you know, how is everything going, but they don't want to be overarching with their request of information and everything else. Did, did you have a, I don't know, a Facebook page or post? Like, did, did you do any of that or was it more quiet than that? Well, at first people knew something was going on because we kind of just were quiet for a little bit. I sent out a little message on my Facebook page and just said, you know what, here's what's going on. We don't know all the details. Please just respect some privacy and give us some time until we can figure it out. 
And then once we did, I posted everything just through my personal Facebook page. Um, and then I had more people kind of join and wanting to know that weren't quite my close circle or family, but acquaintances and stuff. And it's been great. And um, everybody kind of rallied around Connor. We had some friends. Um, we weren't wanting a GoFundMe or anything like that. Um, what we did do instead is we had our friends set up some Courage for Connor bracelets. And we had this big Courage for Connor campaign, sold bracelets, keychains, and then the funds raised from that. Once Connor was better, we actually donated back to the charities and split that money to the charities that we received uh, benefit from during our time. Wow. So, yeah. That's, again, another, I, I think something else that empowers you, like mm -hmm. it gives you a chance to to work through this because it's, uh, it's a heavy emotional toil. I it mean, is. And we wanted to have some control over what was being sent out. So instead of giving that to somebody else and saying, here, you post this about Connor or this and that and... When, I, when I've got some time, I would get on there and I would post and maybe late at night and say, here's today's update or give it a few days and say, here's what's going on or we're coming home and try and plan something. And um, we kept his school very involved. We would make a little appointment to come back to the school and we'd have a couple of the classes come together with all the kids and chat with them and educate them about what's going on. Because for kids in grade three grade four to see a classmate there one day and then gone the next and not really understand mm -hmm. pediatric cancer and what's going on um we had that to deal with so come to school and then we'd come to school with hair one day and then come to school with no hair one day and explain that and take on questions or connor came with a feeding tube at one time so you know kids are curious about that and i would rather have the kids ask us questions and understand why these things are needed and what's going on than to not and just make little comments on the side or behind somebody's back and not understand it. So talk about uh, Ronald McDonald House and, and just how important that place was for your family and just in trying to keep some level of because uh, normalcy is is kind of part of what you're trying to create in a very un like an extraordinary circumstance. Yes. So what, what part of that, um, because hopefully many parents will never have to, mm -hmm. to do that, but I'm just wondering, can you give people a sense of, of why that place is, uh, is special? Oh, Ronald McDonald's house is the best place on earth. If you have a sick child, um, they are right on the grounds of BC children's hospital. So you can park and, leave your car at Ronald McDonald's house, or if you don't have a car, you just walk right across the street. The hospital's there and your appointments are there. It's very convenient. Ronald McDonald house houses 72 families um, or has 72 rooms to house 72 families. They take all sorts of kids, not just oncology, but they'll take pregnant women. They take heart patients, transplants, any like anything that's wrong with your child, they're there to support you. Um, they have meals that are provided for families on a regular basis. They have a grocery store that donates food. If you don't have the means or the time because you spend all day, every day at the hospital with your child for appointments. And then the last thing you want to do is come home and have to worry about going to the grocery store or finding some food. There's a generous company that's come in and cooked for you. So it's fantastic. Or there's cans of food or fresh food there for you to make something healthy for your child and yourself um they've got laundry facilities they've got playrooms it's they've got movie night they've got volunteers that are there day in and day out they around the holidays whether it's halloween or christmas or easter they've got activities planned for the children they've got stuff planned throughout the day for parents i took a cooking course they brought a dietitian in and you took a cooking course because yeah you're sick but you also have free time and, and you're just kind of stuck in Ronald McDonald House. You have an immunocompromised kid who has zero ability to fight off anything. So you cannot get any germs. So this is a super clean place. Um, so you can't go anywhere. You can't take them to the mall. You can't take them to the grocery store. You can't go out to some places. So they bring all this stuff in. But then there's parents too that are needing something to do. So they look after the parents as well. It's 
the most phenomenal place on earth. I cannot say enough great stuff about them. The volunteers that they have, um, the funding that they get. I don't know the exact stats, but I do realize a lot of it's funded out of Vancouver and volunteer staff and donations out of Vancouver. And Vancouver isn't even the primary user because you have to live so far away. So it's the rest of the province that utilizes this fantastic service that they provide. That That's a amazing generosity. Oh, an unbelievable. Unbelievable. Kindness, kindness, kindness. I cannot get over. And, and it's not just Ronald McDonald House. There's other houses. There's other um, charities and there's other sponsors or just there's a ton of people that go to making your life a little bit more comfortable when you're dealing with a sick child. It's phenomenal. So you've you've come through this process and we're going to talk a bit more about how the family is and and really how you've grown as a family. But the other part I want to find out is you've learned a ton about cancer during this oh, process. Yes. <laughs> I know more than I ever wanted to know. And it, like it's not just our son. Um, both of my parents have experienced cancer. Um, we've got lots of other friends that have experienced cancer. And to be able, I feel I can talk a little more freely and open about it. It's not such a scary topic for me to talk about. And I'm a little bit more real about it. Um, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's not It's not a fun thing. You do not wish this on anybody. But when you're going through it, there is good in there. You just have to kind of look for it and find it. But there's these great programs. You meet great families. Like we've got a lot of families that we have met and we still are in contact. And it's been six years now. And we still have, we have this common bond of what we all went through. But we can now celebrate the kids that have survived and have done well and we can honor those that haven't because there are there are quite a few that still don't make it unfortunately and it's just a reality of illness i guess part of that would be just the connection because if you have that connection and and another family's going through something mm-hmm. with their child who mm-hmm. has cancer was that a was that helpful is to to bounce ideas and and chat with anyone who was going through a lot of the same issues like just to get that that feeling of community support yes. from other people going through the same thing yeah and that uh, ronald mcdonald was a big part of that you would come home at the end of your day at the hospital and you'd reunite with people that are in your area that you're living in in your kitchen and you would you would sit down and talk about and like hey how did your appointment go how was your MRI today how was your blood work did you get the results you had a meeting with the doctor is everything okay it's not okay what's your next steps we're here for you good bad it's just somebody that understands what you're going through um we used to joke as cancer parents that like we're going through crazy stuff and then you hear about some family or some friend back home whose child fell off the monkey bars or, you know, they, they kind of hurt their arm. And it's like, OK, I get that. That's serious. And it's such a big deal. But we've got this crazy craziness that we're trying to keep our kids alive. And and you talk to somebody like, how's your day? And we're like, it's, it's fine because we can't go into detail. You don't you don't understand as much as you want to explain to somebody who's not in that realm what really is going on so a lot of it is just oh we're, we're good we're good and then they're like well oh my gosh my child this and it's like okay I under I understand I get it and it's not that we don't have empathy to that but it's just it's changed our perspective too and we're like okay we can deal with a, a cut finger on a bagel or something right it's not it's not gonna impact you forever as long as it doesn't go down to the bone but it's it's a different it's a, just a different mindset that we put ourselves in and it was like okay this is like these kids can die and have died and i don't know there's a serious there's a serious side to that but we're there to bounce ideas off and it's like hey have you tried this or somebody somebody did this or these two cancer kids have the same type this is working have you tried that and um it it, it is good to be in that community together cuz you're dealing with like-minded illness together, I guess, is a good way. So I have, we all have friends, family, 
cancer touches mm-hmm. everyone. I don't care who you are. At least you, and and it's it's unfortunately it does. And I'm always amazed whenever I bring up a, a you know close friend of mine is dealing with cancer right now. And people always have these ideas of treatment. Like, mm-hmm. well, have they tried cutting out this? Have they, mm-hmm. you know, have they drank more apple juice or have they? And, and you know, you hear these things. You must have got a ton of, of ideas. Everybody like, has a suggestion. <laughs> like bubble gum. Like, have you tried oh. chewing, bu- you know, and, and, you know, and I, people are, of course, and you're not a they mean, mean the best they mean they the best. mean the best and but what, it's great but what's the best one you ever heard like because oh. there must have been a few well there's the obvious there's the no sugar there's um vegetarian vegan cutting out all meat cutting you know plant-based only um cbd you want to try some cbd for connor i'm like he's eight um, we're, we're going to try some science first and then I'd like to, I'd be open to exploring something, but honestly, my mindset was we're going to trust science. Science has been, has been done. It's worked. Um, Connor was in a study, so it was very regimented and, and that's what works. But we, we know people that had cancer and they came into it as vegetarians Mm-hmm. And 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 unfortunately, their son still had cancer. Mm-hmm. So I, I can appreciate a great, healthy lifestyle being vegetarian, vegan, or no sugar, or what it is. And those are all great options. And and you do hear of some people who have switched their diet, and their cancer has been flipped out of their body for some reason. I don't I don't know how to explain that. For us, it was just science. We are science based people. We're going to go with that. So. Was there, um, so Connor did radiation and chemo. Yes. Correct. Was there anything else beyond that that he was doing? No. Okay. So there wasn't any experimental drugs no. or to reduce the tumor or anything else? Or? No, it was a craniotomy to remove the tumor. And then the radiation was to kill any cancer cells that may be flowing up and down his um, central nervous system. Mm-hmm as well as to get whatever else was left on his cerebellum from where the tumor attached was the radiation and also in conjunction with the chemotherapy just to kind of kill everything in there to to get it all out. So, and luckily for us, it worked. So this is a tougher question, but it has to be asked. Uh, a lot of families, when they go through something this pivotal, um, cause it, it truly is life changing cause you could lose your child. Mm-hmm. How is that? How is that family dynamic, the marriage? Because you know, your, your family is now ripped, not ripped apart, but fundamentally you're living Separated. in two different communi- yeah. communities. Was there any kind of advice you can give other couples that might be going through that sort of thing? Because, you know, I, 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 I hang out with you guys yeah, you know and us. you're great. Um, <laughs> We're still together. But it just seems like it can either pull you apart or bring you closer together. So do you have any it kind can. of thoughts or anything that, that just kind of kept? Because I, I, I'm imagining that if a child is going through all that, you put all your focus, your energy, as it should be, mm-hmm. on Connor. And, and the marriage suffers a little bit as a result of that. But... I mean, this is a greater priority, obviously. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how did you manage that? Because that was not just a couple months. Like we're talking over a year yeah. of really dealing with adverse conditions. Yeah, we we talked about it. And Darren has a job where he needs to be at work and look after his clients. And we understood that. I've worked in his business. Well, I was working in his business at the same time. That was all of this. And it was easier for me and it's what I wanted to do as the mom and the nurturer I was going to take care of my child mama bear is looking after this little one and we're going to fix this and that is my goal right now cure Connor do what I can figure it out learn about it Um, so we decided for us Connor and I would relocate to Ronald McDonald house for that time period Aiden and Darren would stay here, have the support of our community and family here, and we would do any time we could to come back to Kelowna. We would come back, 
hang out as a family unit, try and plan some stuff around Connor and some of his friends when he was healthy enough to have them or family. We made sure that he was home for his birthday, his brother's birthday. We wanted to keep some normalcy for him. Um, we planned playdates for him at Royal McDonald House. We had tons of friends of his that were coming down for hockey tournaments or coming down for lacrosse at the time or coming down for just a visit. And they would stop into Ronald McDonald House and we'd get a little play date in with them and keep that for him so that he was normal. I got to see socially parents at that time as well. So that kept me going. Um, we didn't really, we couldn't really do holidays or anything. I know Darren had a work trip in there and we, we took the four days and we, he and I left and went on a work trip, left Connor in my parents' care. And, and that was good. It was stressful because you think about him the whole time and you're like, what are we bad parents for going? But we needed that break. We needed mm -hmm. to get away and regroup so that we could come back and immerse ourselves in that craziness again. So for us, we just, we'd talk about it and we'd plan and we'd make sure, um, we had times where Aiden would come up and spend a week with us at Ronald McDonald house and he would come experience stuff. Um, BC children's hospital has a school. So if Connor wasn't in treatment, he was going to school. So mm -hmm. I got to drop him off at the little classroom with all the other sick kids and he'd go for two, three hours in the morning, as long as he could. There's no schedule. There's no nothing. They're not expected to do anything. It's just giving them something. So it just kept us all all together trying to keep it normal and, and run a course. I One of my big things was Connor had to get dressed every day. You're not going to lay in your bed and be in pajamas all day long or in gowns from the hospital. Mm -hmm. Get up get some clothes on let's have a shower or a bath let's walk the halls with your iv pole like we're gonna we're gonna get up and do something as long as you're physically able to but i don't it's it's not easy it's not easy and it doesn't work out for everybody that's the other thing it is very very difficult there's a lot of people that struggle um going through this because it is the worst thing ever and parents have different views on what they think is right and if two parents are coming in separated that's not easy either because you've got issues on top of having a sick child and that compounds and there's there's a lot of scenarios but fortunately we did what we could to make it work so aiden is is watching his brother little brother go through this how how is he going through it because i mean obviously this is a, a tough thing for him because he's relatively powerless he's just seeing his younger brother mm -hmm. suffer how how did you kind of help him through this time and and make sure that he still had some time with mom and Darren mm -hmm. as well? Yeah, we would make sure he's involved. Um, if he had, because he was still playing soccer, he was still playing hockey at the time. I know there was a time I came back to Kelowna and he had a soccer tournament in Kamloops. So Darren stayed home with Connor. And then I took him up to Canloops and we went and stayed in a hotel. We had some time. The two of us hung out and you just try and balance back and forth and flip so that on the flip side, Darren gets time with Connor, mm -hmm. which he misses out on. Um, again, keeping Aiden in the loop on all of Connor's procedures as to what was going on. And um, I also had lots of friends who other moms at the school. So if something was going on, they would video it or send me a picture. I know. I think it was Remembrance Day. Um, Aiden was in grade five and he got to be a flag bearer for the Remembrance Day ceremony and be a part of, you know, a couple of kids that got selected. So I had moms taking tons of video because I couldn't be there of him and his little suit all dressed up. And, and it's just, it takes a village. It really uh, does, doesn't it? It, it does. I, you can't do it on your own. You need to ask for help. And we were fortunate to have everybody, everybody looking out for us so that we could could keep our unit together. So the more comes before he got sick mm -hmm. and the more comes after. What what is your cuz your family builds layers it, it you know it evolves it it changes. What was your family like before and as opposed to what you're like now was was there is there different kind of traditions that are built in or is there or is it the same? 
I think we're more the same. I don't, it's hard to say because I don't know what we would have been like if we hadn't gone through this. I know we were a great little family unit before. We were very involved in our kids and their activities. Through this, we were still involved in activities and school and after the fact, maybe even more so involved. Um, I know Connor's always going to have long-term side effects and different side effects that will vary throughout his life. So it's keeping an eye on that. Um, and managing that but I still think we're on the same kind of family unit path we're still super connected we love hanging out together Um, we're happy to go to movies together watch the other kids play like I don't think yeah I don't think we've changed too much well that that's perfect because that's what you want yeah um I did notice in the plans for your new house you have an elevator there. Yes. And and you you have your child's you have needs. your child in, yeah. in, needs in mind mm-hmm. when you're thinking about that. So just kind of explain that thought process. Again, it's my worst case scenario, but you you never know what is going to happen. You you get you get this diagnosis for your child, you do this treatment, and then you get these long-term side effects that can happen and there's percentages attached to each. So you could be x percent of this x percent and you you don't know so the whole future is an unknown for what kind of lifestyle we're going to have um so i plan for everything so yes we're we're looking at building a new house with that comes an elevator for three levels because connor may or may not be in a wheelchair may or may not need a wheelchair down the road there could be mobility issues because your cerebellum controls your mobility so you know, you have to think about that. So why, I guess if you, if you could do it and plan for it now, do it. Um, I'm very aware and hypersensitive to anything that goes on with him. And it might be detrimental to me because I'm probably too focused on it. But um, yeah, I just, I, I'd rather have, know what I or think I know what I'm getting into. Um, if I think he's going to have a problem, then I think I want to be able to manage that so that it's not a problem when it might become one. Uh, thank you for listening. This is, uh, you know, an interesting journey for me because I'm, I found out about this when you were dropping the pocket at Canucks game. Yes. That there was something had gone wrong. Um, and I, I really didn't know much about the Connor story. And mm-hmm. so I, that's why this is very interesting for me. Um, Was there, again, is there a a point when you were like, I can't do this? Or did you ever have that moment of just, this is a lot, like, and you just... There is one moment, yes. (laughs) Um, You you put on your brave face and you do you do what you need to do for your child, parent, sibling, anybody. Like, you just do it. People say, "How, how do you get through this? I could never do this. Well, until you're faced with it, you just you just do it. You have no choice. I do remember one day and I don't, it was in the summertime. So middle of Connor's treatment, I pulled into the Ronald McDonald's, um, parking lot, garage parking. And I pulled in, parked my car and I don't know what happened that day or what. I just sat there and I just started crying. Mm -hmm. I just had to release, let it out and then be like, okay, I can, I can breathe. I can regroup and let's go carry on. He was probably sleeping in the back seat, or maybe he, we had to carry a puke bucket with us because it just happens. Mm -hmm. It's happened in my car, old car a few times. So who knows whether that had happened that day and I deal with that and carrying him up and it just, there's, you can only go so far and you're, you're tapped out and it's like, okay, And then, but you don't want to burden anybody else. There was no no way I was going to put this extra stress onto Darren or my parents or Aiden or a friend, anybody. It was just like, okay, the mountain, I got to the top, I've let it out and then we'll go again and carry on. And, but yeah, you, you, you need to find a release somehow. And that was my big cry and carry on. So, so you had the. You had the phone book, and not the phone book, the, the scrap <laughs> scrapbook, and, and he's, well, it's a collection of of paper associated with Connor's treatment, and and I think planning 
trips around the family and, and really keeping things segregated, as well as letting Aiden know first when, when something was different with Connor's treatment or anything mm-hmm. was needed to be told. Is there anything else that you could share with, with families that, you know, either might go into this, you know, mm-hmm. God forbid, hopefully they don't, are going through this. Um, is there any coping mechanisms that you would you would offer them? My biggest thing that I tell everybody right now is be an advocate. Be an advocate. And if you think something is not right, keep pushing. Keep pushing for answers with a the doctor. They're, they're not going to get it right the first time. You want them to, but they don't always. They're human. And there's so many possibilities that something could be. But if it isn't resolved the first time with a doctor, try again and try somebody else and keep talking and keep pushing because the longer you leave something, the worse off you can be. Um, Getting treatment as quickly as you can is a good thing. Um, I know it's scary and I know people don't want to hear possibly what could come out, but the longer you leave it, the worse it is. Um, So being an advocate, I find for me, my therapy on all this is talking to people. I, my one really good girlfriend, her son went through this at the exact same time and he was Aiden's age. He went through a different type of cancer and he's doing very well right now. Um, we were neighbors at the time and her and I, we still get out. We walk our dogs every week and we talk and that is our therapy session for both of us is chatting about how's this, how's that and then talking about anything but cancer mm-hmm. and and getting away from it all, but having that person that you can talk to. Um, other families, finding other people that have a similar situation that you're going through or have gone through that can give you some points and tips. Uh, there's another family we know. Their son was diagnosed with a brain tumor, different than Connor's. And I remember calling her up and I... I just gave her so much information that she was on information overload and she didn't want to hear it and and after wanted to hear it and needed to hear some of it, I guess. But um, And then her son didn't experience a lot of that same stuff mm-hmm. because different treatments. So I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. But sometimes it's just I, I wish I had somebody to actually tell me more sometimes and then I'm happy I got to stumble through it and figure it out on my own too. So... It's everybody's different and I don't know, I'm here to talk. If anybody wants to know anything, I will talk their ear off about it. What's great though is, is I think you said it correctly, which is if you feel alone, that's the problem. That's Mm -hmm. when problems start is when you feel like I'm the only one going through this and you feel isolated. And, and that's when, that's when I think you really get into trouble is, is feeling like, you know, no you're one, I, one. I, you're the only one going through this. And I think what you did was through through friends and, and family, we're able to kind of figure it out that, you know, sharing and, and reaching out to other people going through the same thing. Yeah, I like the control of it. So I wanted to release it in, in my own time and how I wanted to. But um, it just the communication and, and talking is, for me, what's the benefit. So... So what's interesting is my uh, my father and mother both went through cancer, different types of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and with my mother, it was she she did radiation, chemo. It was uh, a year later, it metastasized in her brain, and and yeah, she was gone. What I find it, it's tough sometimes when I when I hear the cancer center. And I know there's developments and I know there's innovation, Mm -hmm. but it still frustrates me. We're still doing, and and again, I'm not close enough to it, but I'm wondering your opinion of this, which is radiation and chemo seem to be the leading cures, if we can use that word, Mm -hmm. for or treatment of cancer. And, and, And again, I don't know enough about it for big breakthroughs and that kind of thing is are you feeling like we've made significant advances in cancer treatment and in research? No. Yeah. No, I feel not. Um, I know with childhood cancer, they're using the same four or five, six drugs that they have used for the last 30 years. There hasn't been a lot of advancement, especially in pediatric cancer, but um, it's, it's hard to say because 
everybody's cancer journey is going to be so different. Um, different types of cancer react to different types of treatment, depending on when you catch it. You know, if it's early, it's easier. If it's later, it's harder. Um, how your body's made up. Some people flip their diet like we talked about and, and that works. Other people, it's nothing is going to work and it's going to start spreading and it's just a blip in cells somewhere from what I understand. Um, it's it's so frustrating because we are such a smart society and there's so many doctors and so many researchers and so much money going towards this stuff that you you think you want to see all these or that you're going to see all these results and they're slowly coming and I get it takes time but it's hard it's hard it's um it's not easy that way that's for sure well and and, and again um I I kind of feel the same way you do which is this isn't me wagging a finger. It's more of a, I mean, I've, you've given towards cancer. Mm -hmm. I know it. Uh, I've, I've done, you know, rides for cancer. I've, you know, raised 50, $60,000 mm -hmm. for cancer. Yeah. It's not like we're not trying no. and we're throwing all this money. And I guess it's just that, that part of me that's going, come on. Like, yeah. like this is still killing us, killing friends and loved ones. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm just, like it's just feeling like we need to step it up or like something has to happen because there's billions poured towards cancer treatment. And mm -hmm. it just feels like when my mom passed, same treatment that Connor was getting. Right. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. But when you, if you were to go break it down, um, Con Connor got radiation specific to the site on his cerebellum, which if you were to look at him now, you will look at the back of his head, you will see a scar of 22 stitches, and you will see a bald spot where his cerebellum in his head is because they radiated that spot, no hair will grow. Um, there's there's so many different specific treatments. If you have a brain tumor that's in your brain stem, you can't even operate on that. So they're, they're going to try different treatments. If you've got prostate cancer, you're going to get a total totally different type of I don't even know if they do radiation I'm, I'm not sure what the treatment is but they'll do something totally different and there are different drugs when you're dealing with chemotherapy that target different cells in different parts of your body to attack these specific cancer cells it's so vast they've come up with new therapies now so there's a blood brain barrier that they can slowly start to penetrate through um they're doing cartel, I don't, I'm not even going to get the names right, cartel C therapy, immunotherapy, um, transfusions, bone marrow transfusions for different things. There's, there's a wide variety when you just start looking at cancer or, or sorry, chemotherapy. Yeah, it's chemotherapy and it's a drug they're given to kill something, but there, there is quite a bit out there. And I, it takes some time to understand that and realize it, but it's still frustrating that so many people aren't able to come out of this. And that's, that's the tough part. So we talked about the family when you, as a unit, but what about you? Like before Connor got sick, now I'm looking at Leanne today. Does less bother you? Like, do you find... Because you grow as a person, and I think you know your your uh, anecdote about you know how somebody else had their kids scrape their elbow or whatever. You just see the the big picture, and it could and have it, been worse. Yeah, yeah, it could have been worse. But are you different as a result of this? Like, are have you seen yourself um, your viewpoints change? I guess. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, and it's not that I'm not, I'm very empathetic to anybody. If you cut your finger, I'm, I do feel bad. Like I get it. it. It does hurt. I hurt when I cut my finger, stub my toe. Um, but it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm way more sympathetic. I'm way more understanding of a medical condition. I'm more tall and not even, not even, um, what would you say? I, I can, I can look at somebody in a wheelchair and I could say, Hey, nice wheels. Mm -hmm. because Connor had to ride in a wheelchair and I had to push him up and down and he had to wheel. Like I, I kind of, I kind of get it. Um, it's a part of you, 
Um, if somebody has a feeding tube and we're walking by, I could say, hey, I, I see you've got a NG tube in your nose. How's it going? Um, what You know, I, I don't feel intimidated to talk to somebody about a disability or something that looks different or something that I've experienced with Connor. I'm a little more open and and um, understanding of that, I guess. I, does that make sense? It, it does because I think, like I said, anyone who goes through and, and there's, uh, you know, even when my kids get sick, you as a parent, you want to take it all away. You want to take all the pain mm-hmm. away. You want to just make it all better oh. and, and you want to make it immediate. Like you mm-hmm. don't want to. And it's, it's, uh, it takes the, like you feel powerless as a parent to, cause you want them better right away and you just, you want it better. And, yeah. and for whatever reason, it's just one of the most just frustrating. Um, All you can be is their cheerleader and it, say, exactly. guess what? I, I, I know, I, I know this is going to hurt. You don't actually know how much it's going to hurt, but you, you can see that it's going to hurt them or but you know what? We're going to get through this together. We're, here's the steps that we're going to do. And I find that helps. Okay. Cut your finger. Put a compress on it. We'll put a polysporin. Put a bandaid on it. You've got cancer. You've got a tumor. We're going to go in and the doctors are going to take it out for you. You're going to have a little surgery, a little sleep. You're going to be sore. We're going to get some physiotherapy on that. And we'll get you back to moving and walking again. And then you're going to have some radiation. And, you know, here's the symptoms that are going to come with that. And okay, we'll get you through this and I'll be here for you. And you tell me how you're feeling. And if, if this poke, um, a good example is we'd have to get blood work done and the only control, like Connor doesn't have a lot of control when you're eight Mm -hmm. getting stuff done. So they're going to take your blood no matter what. So his, um, idea was I would like to count to three. So you, the nurse can poke me. It's not you. That's going to count to three. It's going to be me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have that control of my body that I will count and then you poke me and then you go, right? So it's just trying different things and figuring it out, but being their cheerleader and supporting as much decision-making as they can throughout this crazy process that they don't understand. And we're lucky Connor was eight. He kind of understood. There's babies that are born with cancer, which is the most bizarre thing here. You're a new mom and you can't, can't, you're trying to figure out how to, be a mom and you've got to deal with a baby who's got to have IVs and chemotherapy and stuff. So it, for us, it was what control can you have and how can you help yourself and us? And we'll, we'll advocate for you throughout all of this. We're at the end of our time. I can't believe that. <laughs> I never thought we'd get here. <laughs> I thought it'd be so much sooner. Uh Leanne's been a delight uh, to speak to. And and, and again, I, I think in sharing the story, it, it might help someone. It might help them deal with a, a very difficult time. Like, I mean, again, I can't even because it's just, it, you know, anytime my, any one of my kids, something happens, you just, you know, you it just want your heart. It you does make them better. Yes. So, uh, I mean, good on uh, the more comms for for coming through a very difficult difficult time and and you know looking at you now you're i mean i i saw connor just hanging out like a normal kid he, and everything's good yeah he just wants to be normal so we do our best to make him as normal as we can and carry on and hope for the best and watch out for anything that's coming along and again just be an advocate thanks for coming on the big show thanks for having me